Welcome, welcome, welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, no Justin Kinney this morning. He'll be back tomorrow uh, dealing with... It's actually pretty funny. I, I called it a family matter, but like it's literally because uh, his mother-in-law, who is going to watch his young son this morning, and, and, and does so, I think, every Thursday, but her garage like just broke, and so she couldn't get her car out of the garage, and she lives like an hour away. So uh, Derek Decker filling in. For Justin Kinney after just a very bizarre thing. Everyone's fine. He'll be he'll be back, in fact, tonight for the coaches show. But <laughs> crazy things happen. Well, I certainly do. And I'm I'm happy to be along. I, I feel like this is like the full Derek experience now because it's going to open up with a long segment on why Indiana isn't good. And that is like my specialty. So this is this is gonna be great. Yeah. And in Justin, who always gets accused of being an, an IU hater and Purdue hater at the same time, which is, again, explain how that one works. Uh, but he'll, he's missing this opportunity, but I'm sure, I'm sure he'll have something to say uh, come tomorrow after what happened last night between Indiana and Nebraska. It was, well, it was flat out ugly, and we'll get to that after we get to headlines this morning. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK in your question, comment, rants, whatever you have for us, and we'll get to it throughout the course of the show this morning. Also, we're giving away Purdue-Fort Wayne sweet tickets for Saturday afternoon's game against Wright State. Uh, this is the second and final day that we're doing this giveaway. So yesterday we did Dayton. Let's just make it simple today and do Wright State. So just text Wright State to 46862. You'll be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets I see the Dons and they're what the Raiders, right? That's right. Uh, at the Gates Center, come, or not the Gates Center, at the Coliseum on Saturday afternoon. So again, keyword keywords, right state to four six eight six two. All right, Derek, great to have you on board again. You filled in, uh, I think, uh, one other time. Um, for those unfamiliar, uh, I guess, kind of tell a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, first and foremost, it's going to be relevant to this show. I'm an IU grad, and so I certainly have experience <laughs> being around the Indiana program. Um, still call myself a fan and have definitely hung around that program more than, than uh, lots of folks. And we were just talking about donated lots of my money over the years to watching them play uh, and traveling to cover the team. But uh, yeah, graduated from Indiana and hanging out over on WoWo most times these days doing news over there, but I'm happy to fill in over here, tin caps during the summer, and uh, lots of other high school stuff. So yeah, kind of dipping into everything, but I I'm happy to be along, and this is going to be an interesting conversation, and I've I it's just been f boiling up inside of me since last night, and I'm glad someone other than my wife, who's a Kentucky fan, gets to hear it, and it, uh, this is going to be good. So I always forget about <laughs> that, um, that you have to live with that like every mm. every day. Um but, you know, you, you get through it. And I think you also kind of hid something saying, oh, yeah, you're an IU fan. Like, you're an IU football season ticket holder. I am, yes. So that's next level. And I'll, by the way, I was also uh, did not make the cut for IU basketball season tickets. So I was on the wait list and did not get selected this year. So that's also in the rotation. So definitely in the next couple of years. But, yeah, um, I, I feel like. I've been one of the few fans, you know, lots of people can relate to Indiana basketball, but there's just so few people out there that have consistently watched IU football growing up, and I grew up going to games down there, and so I, I just, you know, I've spent a lot of time around that campus, even before I was a student there, and yeah, that's that's a different level of 
fandom being uh, around That's that a program. true level of commitment. <laughs> it certainly is. But uh, this this program certainly has gone through some things over the last number of years, and we're going to talk about some of those defensive problems here in just a second because <laughs> they, they have issues on that end of the floor. There's no question about it. That they do. Uh, we'll get to headlines first this morning in the NFL Pro Bowl. Uh, selections are out. Brock Purdy to the Pro hmm. Bowl as the Niners... Uh, had a team high nine to the Pro Bowl, just one Colt, Quentin Nelson, back to the Pro Bowl. Four Colts were alternates. And in terms of programs, uh, also had Jesse Bates getting a Pro Bowl nod as well. But in terms of programs, Notre Dame with a lot of former Irish players making the Pro Bowl. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams, Zach Martin, I mentioned Quentin Nelson, and Julian Love all named to the Pro Bowl. And then kicker Brandon Aubrey. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who didn't even play football at Notre Dame but played soccer, also made the roster. So a lot of Pro Bowl nods, but congrats to, to Jesse Bates um, for getting the Pro Bowl nod, playing for the Falcons this year. So he he left Cincinnati, got a good paycheck, and got a Pro Bowl nod. Worked out. Yeah, it definitely did. And he uh, he had a terrific game. You know, he's just been all over the field. I, I just am so impressed with his nose for the ball. Like, I, I know sometimes in on defense we measure things by things like interceptions and turnovers. That doesn't always tell the whole story, but he's a guy that has gotten in on that too. And and just his performance a couple weeks ago against the Colts at the time before the Falcons this week had their thing that you know feels like they have a game like that every year at the end of the year that they're teetering on making the playoffs and, and whatever. But he had a terrific game and, and had a, just a critical interception late in that contest against the Colts. So yeah, just awesome stuff for Jesse Bates and definitely making the Summit City look good. Elsewhere in headlines this morning, um, we go from the Pro Bowl and, and everything happening in the NFL to Tyreek Hill, uh, who his house <laughs> caught on fire. So uh, his family is safe, but there is a large fire at his home. Um, unclear uh, the cause of the fire, but Hill was made aware of the incident during practice yesterday and then left to obviously attend uh, the matter. So, um, but they, no no one injured, so that's the key thing, but it's just pretty crazy, you know, to, to have a house fire, and let alone before such a critical time of the season. Yeah, it's certainly untimely, but it's, it's good to hear that everybody's okay. You know, you always have questions um, around when high profile athletes have things happen and I'm not suggesting anything. I'm, I'm definitely not, but it's just the, the, the good news here is that everybody's okay. And hopefully he can, um, you know, try and, and turn his focus uh, to his team, but also turn his focus to his family whenever necessary here. It, you know, this is, it's one of those things that's kind of like, okay, we've got to take care of our family first. And yes, you know, NFL fans want him to be at his best, especially this time of year, but you know, he, he's got to be focused on what's going on at home right now and making sure his family is okay and making sure it's not something that happen, happens again. And so, you know, hopefully we'll learn a little bit more in the next couple of days on, on what actually happened here. But again, just bottom line, glad everybody's okay and glad everybody's safe going into the, to the playoff season and, um, you know, just after the holidays too. This is a, a tough time for a lot of families. So glad, uh, glad everybody's all right. From NFL football to college football, and I found this interesting, but Ohio State, who's still looking for that quarterback for next season, um, but they got a visit set. So Will Howard is set to visit the Buckeyes, the former Kansas State quarterback who you know, at one point was maybe a potential target for Notre Dame before it became clear Riley Leonard 
uh, would be in the portal. But Howard is set to take a visit to OSU in the upcoming days. Mutual interest. He's also visited Miami and USC, also considering the NFL draft. So what's interesting is Kyle McCord transferred to Syracuse, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Devin Brown was hurt in the bowl game. Didn't really show you enough to have any idea of what he would become, Mm -hmm. uh, even with just one start. And then you had Cam Ward, who was a target, and then he opts for the NFL draft. So Ohio State, I mean, this feels like a a bit of a desperation at quarterback. Now, Howard's a good player. He's experienced. Very. But they got to land someone. And it's it, it's coming down to the wire here. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of the, the beauty or also the drawbacks of modern college football and the transfer portal. Like, there's a time clock on this stuff. Like, you have got to get your quarterback and get him in place relatively soon. This is not the old days where you can kind of mess around and ah, we'll just figure it out in spring ball and we'll have ourselves a good old fashioned quarterback competition and we don't have to worry about the transfer portal. Well, that's, that's an issue for Ohio state right now. And this is such a critical off season for the Buckeyes. I don't think anybody denies that, you know, there's a lot of Ohio state fans that listen to the show. Uh, and a lot of those fans that are in for the, the Fort Wayne area and they understand that this is just such a tumultuous time. And I, I get it. Some people are like, hey, listen, for again, for the other programs in the state, uh, Notre Dame even included, it, it kind of feels like Ohio State's complaining about stuff that isn't a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And, and yes, the, the playoff does expand, which could definitely help Ohio State next year. They definitely would have been in the playoff this year had uh, the playoff been expanded. Um, you know, I, I just feel like this Buckeyes season can hinge on whether they get a quarterback or not. Uh, offensively, that was obviously an issue this year, although I, I think we clearly saw in the bowl game, and listen, that's kind of a small sample size, and I don't make, want to make too many uh, you know, conclusions based off of a bowl game, but Ohio State's offense had deeper problems than Kyle McCord. Yeah. And, and we all knew that. Um, and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Exactly. kind of shadowed some of those issues very true um but they there were definitely issues that ohio state had offensively and and that is just not something the buckeyes have had to deal with the last few years i mean this has just been an elite offense that can hang with anybody the biggest issue has been defensively where they were improved this year they just did not have the offensive weapons well they did have offensive weapons but they didn't have the firepower to make the downfield threat the same way they have in the last few years um and, and i just you know will howard listen I was out in Kansas last year um, and got to watch a little more than than Will Howard than probably a lot of folks at K State, who is a co- uh, program that can, gets completely overshadowed outside of Kansas. I mean, I, I get it; it's a kind of a small time Big Twelve program, but they have had a good team the last couple of years, and Will Howard has been a big part of that. And so, this is—I don't want to use the word serviceable quarterback because Ohio State fans are kind of tired of hearing that because that's what Kyle McCord was, where he was serviceable but didn't have a, a huge ceiling. I think. This is a guy that can run the offense. He's a capable guy that will give uh, an element of experience, especially if he can stay healthy. I don't necessarily think he's the home run get for the Buckeyes, but offensively, this is a piece that they kind of need at this point. And as you mentioned, it does kind of feel like desperation time. And that's something to keep an eye on as we go forward throughout the rest of this offseason. And you know how much of this plays into Ryan Day's job security and everything else. There's just a whole lot going on with the Buckeyes right now, and not very much of it's good. Will Howard is experienced, but in terms of quarterback style, he's not a flashy kind of guy, and he's not you know a deep threat to throw downfield. Um, I think of him as an experienced Kyle McCord, to be honest. 
Yeah. Is that fair? I, I think so. I mean, he's a good player, but he's he's not an elite quarterback. Oh, by he's any definitely means. not. Definitely not. But but you don't have to have an elite quarterback to have an elite offense. You just have to have someone in there, and uh, you, you have to have weapons on the edges, which, again, has not been an issue for Ohio State the last few years. There's guys that can make plays. One of the best receiving cores ever in college football the last couple of years. So it, it's not to say that Will Howard makes or breaks the offense, but I do feel like without a guy that is experienced or that has tremendous upside, you have to have one of those two things going into this year. And Howard, at the very bare minimum, provides some significant experience at quarterback where Kyle McCord did not have this season. From college football to the NBA and the Indiana Pacers. Unbelievable what Mm. they've done this year against one of the perceived, and I'm using the word perceived for a reason, top teams in the NBA. The Pacers get a 142-130 to win. Uh, over the Milwaukee Bucks last night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Pacers win the season series 4-1, to which I think is very notable. Tyrese Halliburton with 31 points, 12 assists to lead Indiana in that win. And, you know, the, the Bucks, their key offseason acquisition, obviously Damian Lillard. And when Giannis and Dame are scoring at will offensively, yeah, no one's beating the Bucks. The problem is defensively, doesn't feel like they got better. They they kind of subbed out and got worse. And for the Pacers, they've won five straight now, proved to 19 and 14 after they really struggled coming out of the in-season tournament. And again, it's just kind of, you look ahead and the Pacers being really good against one of these elite teams, the Bucks 23 and six against everyone else, but one and four against the Pacers. <laughs> Go figure. Make yeah. it make sense. Well, this is one of the NBA's budding rivalries. Nobody denies that at this point. We have seen some... Some physical play between these two teams. It does feel like, you know, watching the game last night, the crowds are better for these games. You know, Indiana's never been a team that has consistently sold out Gamebridge or Banker's Life or wherever they've played the last 20, 25 years. Um, and the the crowd was into it again last night. And I, I it just, this is kind of one of those teams. We don't always see great rivalries in the NBA. I mean, you got some of your old classics, but the Pacers have been kind of that team that's been the last dog at the bowl for quite a long time in the NBA. And now you've got a player uh, in, in Tyrese Halliburton last night who, again, had 12 assists. I think the the stat the last three games, I believe, three or four games, I think it's four games, 66 assists and four turnovers for Tyrese Halliburton. It's just like we're, we're talking video game numbers here that this guy is putting up. And, you know, just to, the he was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week last week. Like, Again, the numbers are just incredible for Halliburton. Um, but there's some serious depth pieces to this Pacers team. And you can get, bring guys like Obi Toppin and Benedict Mathern off the bench. You've got yourself a, a serious playoff contending team. And and I I say that with respect that I don't think Indiana's got the pieces necessarily to make a, a serious uh, championship run. But I do think they have the pieces to make some noise in the playoffs. And this is <laughs> obviously a team, you know, Anytime the Bucks are hanging around, um, you know, in the playoffs, you, you see what they've done the last couple of years. They could theoretically meet in the playoffs, and that is a scary thing for the Bucks because for whatever reason, they have not been able to get past the Pacers. Uh, the offense has been clicking, you know, getting 47 points in the third quarter last night. It, you just the offense is just amazing, and it's such a uh, a contrast to some past years. And, and past administrations, frankly, to be with the Pacers. Like, defensive focus has been there for the Pacers 
the last two, three coaching administrations completely changed again uh, with the style. And again, the, they have the perfect personnel to do it. They've got guys that can shoot threes, and this team relies on threes a ton. 14 threes last night. That's what they do. Uh, and that's not even the best they've shot it this year. They're 40%, which is slightly above average for this Pacers team. So again, I, I just am so impressed with the way the Pacers have handled themselves in bigger games this year. Uh, this team has to value being on national TV when it is, and this was the kind of game that would be on national TV down the stretch in the regular season and in the playoffs, and they have, for the most part, performed extraordinarily well, and really the only big blemish was the loss in the in-season tournament championship on national TV, and that's it. I mean, the Pacers, other than that, have impressed with Halliburton and everybody else uh, the rest of the season when they've been in the spotlight. And for the Pacers, uh, the, the key stat from... Uh, earlier this week is just they're 16 and five when they allow 126 points or less on the season. Uh, four out of their last five, they've done that. Obviously, they didn't last night, but they still won and beat the Bucks. So the Pacers still four and a half games back, Milwaukee in the division. I don't think the division is for the taking. One, they don't play the Bucks anymore. <laughs> right. But uh, if the Pacers can get better defensively, which they're getting better really since that in season tournament, like we're starting to see them improve. I still feel like they're a good wing defender away from, from being in that position. And I'm going to be really curious to see if they're able to get anything uh, for Buddy Heald at the trade deadline or other pieces thrown in with that. Right. There is some value there. Obviously, Buddy Heald would provide for, for other teams. But you're absolutely right in terms of the defense. And that's really the big question for this team. That's the ceiling for this team. If Indiana improves defensively to a point that's even close to average, then the Pacers will be a team that can make a deep playoff run. Without that, I still think they're you know maybe a a, a first round winner, um, and and that might be their ceiling this year. Clearly, there's a lot of pieces to build on. This team is so young. There is a lot of guys on this team that can be uh, held on to for the next couple of years for cheap, and that is important for the Pacers. Um, but again, defensively. You're right. They, there were moments last night. It's kind of feels like it's like streaky moments where they're able to string together some stops now and then, and then they revert back to where they were at the beginning of the season defensively. But there's definitely some some glimmers of hope there. And, and man, this is uh, the most exciting team to watch um, in a lot of teams in the NBA. I mean, there's again, we're in Indiana. I get it, but like, I, I just I can't think of a younger team that has more excitement with a potential MVP candidate. Um, you know, at, at this point, some would call a front runner to what he's done the last two months over the course of the season. Um, the, the Pacers are just a, a fun team to watch right now, and will be fun to track the rest of the regular season. All right, here's a ridiculous stat for you, and I'm not I'm not saying this is going to happen because I I don't think it will. Bring it on! But the last three teams to average 30 plus assists per game in a season: the 1985 Lakers won the finals, 2017 Warriors won the finals, and the other team. The 2024 Pacers. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> love it. I love it. Being involved in that class is so rare for, for the Pacers. So that's that's pretty doggone cool. And from a good win for the Pacers to a good win for the Comets, uh, Tyler Parks, 26 saves and a one nothing win for the Kays last night at Kalamazoo. So the Kays get a, a good win last night. Again, I think it's Toledo coming up tomorrow night. So uh, we'll see if the Kays can, can bounce back. Also a couple roster moves. Uh, Bakersfield Condors assigned defenseman Xavier Bernard and forward Ethan DeJong to Fort Wayne. So before the game, so a couple guys back on the roster as well. And of note for the K's, Jack Dugan has been named an ECHL All-Star as he will head to Savannah for the ECHL All-Star Classic on January 
15th. So congrats to Jack for getting the all-star nod. Yeah, and you know that that goal last night came 15 seconds into the game. Wow! So, <laughs> for all the defensive struggles the Comets have had the last few games, and they ended the the 2023 year on a three game losing streak. I was at a couple of those games at the Coliseum, and really just kind of on their heels defensively for a good chunk of a couple of those games. And then last night, completely different story. In fact, they even fended off a penalty shot in the third period. So great stuff for the Comets last night. And at some point, you know, sometimes it takes weird things to happen to get off of a losing streak and, and kind of get your mojo back. This is a team that is young. They have gone through some significant roster turnover throughout the course of the season. So there's some room for optimism here going into the, the second half of the regular season for the K's. And yes, they have gone through some bad stretches, but we've also seen this team go through some really good stretches throughout the course of the year. So up and down is kind of the mark of a, a young team. And I think that's what the K's got right now. Jack Dugan leads the team in points with 34, 7 goals, 27 assists uh, with the all-star nod. And I got to correct myself. So no Toledo for once, uh, but the K's back in action on Saturday night as they take on the Iowa Heartlanders Saturday and Sunday. Sunday is their MLK night. So uh, keep those in mind for over the weekend. I think I'm planning to go to the game on Sunday. Cool jerseys coming up for MLK yes. too. I love those. Very cool. The the all black kind of like a, a Vegas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind yeah, of reminds right. you of the Vegas uh, sweaters. So, uh, but that's a look at headlines this morning. Four six eight six two is your text line number. Four six eight six two. Also, don't forget you can always stream us thirteen eighty thefan dot com via the thirteen eighty thefan app. That's free for you to download or on your smart speaker. And uh, speaking of the text line, you can text right state to four six eight six two. Be in the running for a four pack of sweet tickets. See the Bastodons and Wright State. Uh, coming up Saturday afternoon at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. All right, if you have thoughts on the Hoosiers, now's your time to send them in on the text line. Indiana last night goes on the road. They fall to Nebraska 86-70. to It was a, a bad performance for IU from just taking care of the basketball. It, it started off poorly, uh, even though they were in the thick of it early. Um, but 19 turnovers, a season high. Nebraska had just eight, and Kasey Tominaga, Went off with 28 points, 4 of 10 from 3. Um, he is just a sneaky good player. And when he gets hot, like you're pretty much done. And that's what we saw last night uh, from Indiana. Derek, I don't even know where to begin <laughs> with with what to assess after this game. The positives, Khalil Ware and Xavier Johnson back in the lineup. The negatives, uh, the turnovers, Xavier Johnson was a non-factor. Uh, the defense... I don't, got I don't Yeah, out coach. Like <laughs> there, there's so many things to take away from this game. Very few of them positive. Um, Mike Woods had a couple of interesting comments. He said Indiana got nothing from its perimeter play, which that's been a problem all year. And then also said our starting two guards were awful tonight. Now I, I like who are, who is he going to start in place of Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway? Like that's part of the issue. Like it. I don't disagree with him. It's more of that's all they have and your seniors <laughs> should be so much better and more consistent. And I get it. Johnson's first game back, but you, you got to have more than a, a zero on the scoreboard. Yeah. All right. So let, let's start kind of zoomed in with, with this game and then I'll, a broader look on the season for Indiana. Um, I, I just think it's irresponsible in my opinion, to start off with with Mike Woodson to pin this on guards. Granted, the, 
like nobody's disagreeing with that. Yes, the guards stunk last night. They've stunk most of the year. <laughs> the roster construction for this team was not built to have a bunch of good guards. They do not have guard depth. We knew that coming into the year. Gabe Cups has already played a thousand more minutes than anybody had thought he was going to play this year, and then he needed to play. He is still um, barely shy of a liability defensively. I think there's some scoring potential in Cups later in his career. Um, I think IU fans, to be honest with you, are way too high on Gabe Cups. I, I really do. I, listen, he's a freshman, and I, I think there's some room for growth here, and I think he could be a serviceable player, serviceable player in the future, but he's not a knockdown shooter. And defensively, he is out of position a lot. Part of that is because defenses exploit him, and that's what other good coaches do. And that's going to happen a lot in the league when he's on when he is on uh, on the floor, coming off the bench. Defenses are going to use him a lot. Last night there was a play in the second half when Nebraska set. I mean, just absolutely put him in the blender, put him on a double screen, and then switched back. And he just kind of like. And, and listen, it's it's not all Cups' fault. I'm not blaming this on Gabe Cups, um, but. That's just the reality of where Indiana's at when they don't get any production from Xavier Johnson, an injury that lasts over a month where we never really got any good updates for until except some vague answer about, well, he might be back for Big Ten play. And then Galloway has regressed so much from last year outside of the Kansas game. Uh, Galloway has just not been good enough. And in my opinion, more of this falls on Galloway than it does Xavier Johnson because we've seen the intermittent problems with uh, Gall- with uh, Johnson staying healthy. Galloway has been more of a consistent piece in the offense. A guy who defended really well last year and a guy who could knock down shots last year. And, man, sometimes when it goes up from three, granted he took one at the end of the shot clock last night, he goes two for six from three. There's just very little hope of it going in. I mean, you feel like even open shots, it's like, Buddy, that that's just <laughs> bad, the, bad misses for a guy who has shot it well throughout his career. The confidence yeah. is not there for him. No, and, and like you not. said, he was a great three-point shooter last year. He was a great defender, but he wasn't relied on either. No. And maybe that's part of the difference. Perhaps. He's just not a, a guy who... Look, between Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway, they should be combining for 25-plus points a game every night. Right. Between the two of them. Well, I just, again... Johnson, I give a pass. It was his first game back from injury. Right. And that's fair. Uh, I also want to point out, for as much as people complain about the guards, which is completely fair, by the way, uh, the guards had very few of the turnovers last night. Four turnovers from Khalil Ware, four from Malik Renew, and then you also had uh, one from Mbako, two from Anthony Walker, and then one from Banks off the bench. So actually very little of the problems from the turnovers came from passing into the post. It came from passing out of it, uh, which is another big problem because Indiana has to rely on its big so much. Uh, 27% of the possessions that Indiana had last night ended in turnovers. That is absolutely inexcusable in any game. You're not going to win any games in the Big Ten doing that. You played a Nebraska team last night that is one of the bottom 100 teams in the country at forcing turnovers. It's not an elite defensive team that Indiana played last night. They're okay. They limit their, their, uh, their opponents to shooting the ball just average from the field. They're okay in that department. Indiana turned it over way, way too much. And the vast majority of them were just completely careless turnovers. The offense had very little rhythm most of the night. And as bad as the offense has been to watch, the one thing that Mike Woodson said that I don't think anybody would disagree with was this is definitely the worst defensive team that Mike Woodson has had in his three (laughs) years. Um, There's no question about that. And I I just, I I hate to say this, like I, I don't like pinning things and, and, 
putting specific blame on guys because as a coach, you're not on the floor, and I get it. But I just don't understand how badly the fundamentals have regressed and how this has happened defensively. Again, prime example of it last night. Transition, second half, Tomonaga's got the ball, hot hand, Malik Renew picks him up in transition, walks away from him, and Tomonaga drills a 30-footer. Yeah, yeah a deep just, three. Just back-breaking. You yeah. cannot do and, that. And that was the play that felt like, all right, this game's over. Oh, yeah. Well, beyond that, and then I think the next possession, they come down and bank in a three late in the shot clock. It's like, well, this is this is great. But uh, I, I this, there's there's so much to say about this Indiana team, and not very much of it's good. I Again, last year, this is a different team than last year. Nobody denies that. There have been serious, in my opinion, response problems against teams that have been better than Indiana. I don't think there's really any question that Nebraska is a better team than Indiana right now. And listen, this is not the free win Nebraska that has been in the Big Ten the last few years. This is a team that had lost seven in a row to IU coming into to last night's game. Hadn't won in Lincoln since 2018 in a place that is generally pretty hard to win. Um, but they're, they're a very improved team, and I think Nebraska's going to make some noise. At worst, I think Nebraska's like fifth or sixth best in the Big Ten. So it's not like they played a bottom-feeding team. But they were blown out in the second half again. I I just like th- this has been a constant problem outside of Kansas, UConn. Things went completely south in the second half. They were competitive in the first half, non-competitive in the second half. Auburn. They were competitive for the first ten minutes, completely dominated after that. And the same thing happened last night, where they were kind of barely hanging on into the game going into halftime. I mean, they were down eight, but it felt like they were down more. And then in the second half. Nebraska starts scoring the first five points, and it's kind of over. I mean, Indiana got it down to eight or nine a couple times, and then a big run with six, seven minutes left in the second half just closed the door, uh, and Indiana didn't even give themselves a shot down the stretch. So I just, you you cannot have games like this in Big Ten play when you're a team as talented as Indiana. And don't get anybody wrong. Do not fool yourself into thinking, well, this is just not a very talented team. Let's just wait on recruits. This is an extremely talented team. This is one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten. You can make an argument that they are right up there in the top two or three in the league in raw talent and they just have not put things together defensively and I'm telling you right now there is no chance Indiana has to be competitive in the Big Ten if they defend like they defended last night. If they defend like they defended against every team that's been good on their schedule and even half the teams that haven't been good. Uh, save for Kennesaw State, which that's a rare case because they run a really fast-paced offense. That was kind of a, like, I, I, everybody wants to talk about, hey, they gave up 87 points. The more concerning thing there is they gave up 17 threes. Uh, the 87 points, not that concerned about given the pace of that game. But the pace wasn't that quick last night. Nebraska was extremely efficient on offense. They shot it 56% from two. They made 12 threes. Um, and for the most of the game, uh, until the end where Indiana scooped up some late rebounds, they got kind of crushed on the boards too. Like they just got pushed around constantly. The intentional foul or the flagrant foul was a, a turning point in the second half too. On yeah, it, was, it was a nine point deficit there. Exactly. And he gets called for flagrant one. They get two free throws out of that thing and they ended up turning it over on the possession after that. But Either way, um, Indiana just has not had the ability to scrape back into games that they have been out of. And that is a real concern. Um, but you know what? Confidence-wise, you can kind of see it on the floor. It's not a team that believes they can get consistent stops on defense like the last couple years. And when you're doing that and you're on the road and you're down, that's a really bad feeling to have. And it's really lonely on the floor to feel like you can't get a stop. And that is exactly what this team looks like right now on defense. And there's okay. There's a lot of a lot of things that you brought up that I, I want to touch on. First off, 
you're talking about the non-conference games where IU laid an egg in the non-conference. So the problem is, and we Justin and I talked about this going into Big Ten play, because IU didn't do anything in the non-conference of note to to build their NCAA tournament resume, right? they don't have any margin for error. Last no. night was one of those games where you, you got to find a way to... Because Nebraska is a fringe NCAA tournament team at the moment. Mm-hmm. IU simply is not. I don't think anyone's going to debate that. Uh, but there's no margin for error in these Big Ten games. Now, I'm not full-on panic mode, but if you can't beat Ohio State coming up Saturday night when you're hosting them... And they're really good. Yeah. They're better than Nebraska. Yeah. Um, but that game's at home. <laughs> you, you, you would expect more from Xavier Johnson in game number two back from injury. But then I think I, I will be pressing the panic button because this is a, a team that, like, these are the teams you have to beat if you want to be an NCAA tournament team. And then the just consistent energy effort, you know, t- we've discussed that ad nauseum mm-hmm. um, because that is something just continues to be puzzling where you have experienced guards and Johnson and Galloway, and then you have guys who, who came back. Yes, Khalil Ware's the, the new guy along with Mbako, but... You don't have questions about Khalil Ware's effort, which is the biggest question he had coming in to Indiana. So, yeah, right. R- really, the the issue I have with this team is, you mentioned, the talent's there, the effort's not. And if that doesn't turn around, they're not doing anything this year. Yeah, and I, I just think that genuinely comes back to defense. Like, I, I don't understand how Mike Woodson can call himself a defensive guy. Like, we, we always hear this stuff in the offseason. I'm a defense-first guy. You know, our defense is going to be ahead of our offense. Been completely wrong the entire season. The defense has not been ahead of the offense. And the offense hasn't even been good. But the defense has regressed so much. And I think part of that does come from losing an experienced rim protector and elite shot blocker like Trace Jackson Davis. People did not understand how good of a perimeter defender Jalen Hutchifino was last year either as a freshman. Like, Indiana lost some serious pieces. Even a guy like Race Thompson in the post a couple years ago um, that was a, a very experienced player that came in under Mike Woodson's first year and was there to defend. Like, Indiana had some experienced teams. This is one of their younger groups generally across the board, especially in the post. You know, you've got Renew in there who now has tons of experience but uh, wasn't necessarily a big factor last year scoring. Malik Renew has been, in my opinion, the most improved guy on the team, and it's not even close, but he still has turnover problems. We have seen some of the upside in terms of passing out of the post. It's getting better there. I think there are fixable things on offense for Indiana. Last night, they went 9 for 18 from 3. At one point in the second half, they were 6 for 7. They have shot the ball way better from 3 the last 3 or 4 games. You know, if you can do that, that's that's good. Like, that's that's a really encouraging thing. But again, if you're not getting stops consistently you're not going to be in games in the Big Ten. It's just, again, you can get away with that against some some non-con teams. You know, they, they jack up 45 threes a game. That's not going to happen for most Big Ten teams. Again, I, listen, I, I, <laughs> I'm i looking at a couple of these texts. Like, yes, it, I this is what you get. I figured this was going to happen. Like, a long IU debrief moment <laughs> from a guy that has been watching too much Indiana basketball over the years. But I, I just, you know, there there are opportunities on this schedule for Indiana. You're right. It's not time for the panic button. they got two very winnable games after Ohio State, too. You've got Rutgers, who has, they, they did look better last night. They had a nice second half comeback, but they were kind of getting dominated by the Buckeyes. And then you've got Minnesota at home, a team that you absolutely have have to beat. Yeah, there, no, um, there's, there's, there's no, no question. That's a quad three game right now, by yeah. the way. So there's just not that many more opportunities to have winnable games that will give you a resume boost. Um, and, and John Nolan was was filling in 
uh, a couple weeks ago, right before Christmas, on the Sports Rush for Brett, and he was talking about what the path is for Indiana to make the tournament. I'm not sure how many quad one or quad two wins it's going to take to get Indiana there, but there are opportunities but every time we've seen him play a, a quad one team outside of an electric environment against Kansas at home, Indiana's been a non-factor, and that's been another thing Mike Woodson's teams have been horrible on the road. So that has not changed either. So again, like Indiana fans are going to start complaining for Mike Woodson's job. I get it. It's year three. It's just what's going to happen with this program. I'm not taking a stance on that, but I will also say that... Th- the Dusty May conversation huh. chatter is getting louder oh, yeah. from Indiana fans. And I, I think if, if this season ends in not making the tournament, which right now it looks like that is what this season is destined to do, um, it's going to be a very interesting offseason. I don't think he gets fired yet. I think he's getting he's going to get one more year. Kind of, We're in the same stage as the Archie thing. You know, one fan, I saw this post last night on Twitter, and I realize we're going way over here, but <laughs> um, one fan said that they felt like this is the low point for Indiana since Archie got booed out of Lucas Oil in the Big Ten tournament. And I I don't know if I would go that far, but it's close. I mean, yeah, this is not like desperation, like we have to make a change right now kind of feeling and vibes here from Indiana. But we are at a stage right now where this is a, a juncture. And if you cannot compete in the Big Ten with the talent you've got on the roster, there is an issue um, and, you know, we, we heard all early in the season, Mike Woodson, we're going to fix these problems. You know, we'll get the intensity levels up. Lo- nothing has changed throughout the course of the season. We have seen the more or less the same Indiana team from the start of the year to what we've seen now. I will say this. So you're talking about Archie and, and the 53 to 40 Big Ten tournament loss at Lucas Oil in, in 2020. Um, that was a finality moment. Sure. That that you knew he was getting fired. You knew that was it. I'd say last night felt more like a tipping point. They're either going to respond and we, put we together have no a good evidence, performance. And we have no evidence that they're going to respond. No, right we now. don't. And I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just saying, yeah, like, no, realistically, there really hasn't been that many signs of hope for this team outside of, again, the one thing you can hang your hat on is though they're not taking that many threes, they are shooting it at a better clip closer to where they were at last year. Because this big misnomer, people thought, well, Indiana's never shot it well. They shot it really well from downtown last year. They just didn't take that many threes. Correct. But they made a lot of the ones they took. And again, 9 for 18 is a reasonable number going forward. That's the one thing you can hang your hat on. Outside of that, defensive intensity, not there. And if you're not good on that end of the floor in this conference, which is a defense-first league, Doesn't no matter. question about it, you are not going to win games. A couple of texts at 46862. Uh, would rather watch Purdue Fort Wayne, better ball movement, better shooting, better defense, better effort. Efforts in, in all caps. Uh, also, CK Dane Fife was right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. That's a good uh, one. That's good. All right. Well, we got to move forward on the show and we'll go from IU to Purdue. Um, Zach Eady. A lottery pick? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you the details on that next. Caleb and Kinney in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kinney in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney. Justin will be back with us on the show tomorrow. And uh, people people loving your IU rant, Derek, on, on the text line at 46862. Uh, someone said, can we have this guy on every day? As a Purdue fan, I love this roasting. <laughs> well, okay. Listen, I I just I have some thoughts, and again, I'm glad I'm deflecting them in the proper channels instead of in my house last night <laughs> at your wife, like, who's a or, Kentucky or the dog, band. exactly right. You know, and I, I got to give um, Katie credit. Like, I don't get during games 
I don't get like heckled during games. I get heckled after games and before games, but I don't get heckled during games. So at least I have like two hours of solace where I can just be upset all the time, which is just my default. I'm frustrated all the time. Uh, the the only thing I, I will conclude my little I, I don't even think I I have had more epic rants than that so whatever but um, I will conclude my segment by saying I don't think it's a lack of intensity or effort defensively by Indiana I think they are so fundamentally poor at the very basic defensive mechanics that you have to have to be good that it looks like they're not trying because they're always out yeah. of position. So that that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, we, we got to talk about something else because we're going to get tied up in this. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about a Purdue guy. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Zach Eadie. Um, ESPN. And I, I found this to be fascinating, but ESPN has Zach Eadie projected as an NBA draft lottery pick in their latest big board update. They have Edie going at 14 overall. Uh, Jonathan Gavani, Jeremy Wu, who uh, run their their draft stuff on ESPN, uh, highlighted that Edie's found another gear with his conditioning, mobility, and productivity, looking noticeably more impactful on both ends of the floor. Um, and, and citing that he's had dominant performances against top teams like Arizona, Alabama, Marquette, Tennessee. H- here's my thing. All of the, the criticism... That he got last year saying, oh, he's not an NBA draft prospect. He'd be lucky to go, what, end of, end of round two in the draft. Like, yes, has he improved as a player this year? He's been perhaps more quietly dominant than I think people realize when you look at statistically how he's playing. And he's probably, once again, the favorite for the National Player of the Year again. Mm-hmm. But, like, have you seen anything that is transformed in his game? Because I... I certainly have it. I mean, he's still a really good college basketball player. Don't get me wrong. And I think Purdue fans are going to jump on uh, on us for this. But he nothing in his game has been transformed. He's not shooting threes. He's not doing anything different. Um, he's still the same player. So this begs my question. If he's suddenly a draft lottery prospect now, and he wasn't last year, what's the difference? Like, I get it. This is a weak draft class. And that, that is the big difference. Is, is that the only reason why? Because there, nothing else in his game has changed so drastically that I think he's played himself from being, you know, a, a late second round pick to undrafted to going into the season. He was projected second round. Maybe he could sneak into the first, but like it's a weak draft and that's it. That's the only difference here. I don't think so much. The skill set has changed for Zach. E. I, I don't think there's things that he couldn't do last year that he's doing this year. I just think what he's what he did last year, he's doing everything better than he did last year. Um, he's certainly an improved player. Nobody denies that. And listen, I, I, I enjoy watching Matt, Matt Painter's teams. I think Matt Painter is a, a, a terrific college coach. I think he's a good recruiter. He has kind of a, a unique, uh, don't necessarily want to call it old school, but like this builds a team still more or less on recruiting and also by developing players. I think Purdue is one of the best player development factories oh, in college basketball anywhere. And and Matt Painter has been terrific at that. I just don't know. Like, <laughs> I feel like we're going to rehash the same arguments here, but how much value does this guy have? Like, it's there's no question he can run the floor some, but he's not going to be the guy that's bringing the ball up the floor. He's not going to be a guy that's going to sit on the wing and step out and shoot a three now and then. There are some real questions for me in terms of his skill set. Can he be useful? Yeah. Is he going to be an NBA star? Probably not. I, I just I don't think that's really in the cards right now 
for what Zach Eady's skill set brings in the modern NBA game. And that doesn't mean he can't be a good college player. He certainly is. Doesn't mean they can't be a national championship contender. Purdue certainly is. They're the favorite right now in Vegas. And so Purdue has found out a way to use him. But again, I don't know how well, and again, this is just one of those things that sometimes we get caught in the Big Ten bubble. Like, how well does his game succeed in other conferences that have different kind of bigs? Um, he's he's probably not as good of a defender in other leagues as he is in the Big Ten, and the offense would have to be different for, for Purdue, too, to play in a league like the ACC or even the SEC, which is uh, just kind of a different brand of basketball. I don't know. I, I don't think, to me, I think that's a little bit bullish to see Zach Eady as high as he is on on uh, the draft projection, what, 13 or 14, 14 whatever now, he was up th- to. This is the only one that has him in, in the draft And that's lot. fair. That's fair. But at the same time, you're talking about it, and the biggest thing is, yes, the weak draft class does have an impact on Zach Eady's value this time around. So I, I think there's there's definitely something to be said for that, and, and let's not kid ourselves. Um, that, that's not taking anything away from Zach Eady. It's just, again... How well will, you know, again, this is me spouting off like the old lines. How well will his game translate to the NBA? We don't know the answer to that question until he gets some professional experience. And he has developed, I mean, let's just also remember what he came from at the start of his college career. This guy, just like the next big that's waiting in the wings for Matt Painter, nothing. I mean, we're talking year or a year plus of practice time and then when he comes into the game he comes off the bench and he plays for 15 minutes a game maybe and doesn't really do a lot he's a big guy that can get some rebounds completely transformed into the national player of the year and he's literally unstoppable unstoppable by any team nobody's been able to stop him you front the post every now and then you get lucky with a bad pass from a guard and you get a turnover that's pretty much the only way you're going to stop him because if he catches it inside eight feet from the rim you will not stop him or even if you foul him he's either going to make a bucket and he's a good foul shooter too so you're just not going to shut him down that's that's great but again I don't know what that means in terms of like watching a modern NBA game again what about a team like the Pacers like he he wouldn't fit on a team like the Pacers right yeah any team that runs uh an extraordinarily modern NBA offense that needs their bigs to run the floor or even mostly goes with a smaller lineup um, like Indiana doesn't even have a ton of bigs in the game most of the time or at least capable bigs or if they do you know in the past you're talking about a guy like Miles Turner who's like you know 21 foot range king so like I, I don't know Zach Eady is not shown the ability to step out he doesn't need to right now but I am kind of surprised to be honest with you that that has not been a more of a point of emphasis in terms of his professional development to try and step out. I mean, we saw the same progression with Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> I was, like, I was just going to bring that up. Once in a while, he would try and step out from 15, and then he wouldn't do it because he didn't have the ability. That's But again, Trace Jackson Davis is a different kind of player where he is a guy who can bring the ball up. He can run the floor better. Uh, even though he's not as big, he can be effective inside, and we've seen him get some good minutes for the Warriors so far this year. Yeah, he's but starting. Exactly. Lately. Now with the, the whole Draymond thing, yeah, he's he's in the mix and in the rotation consistently. But there's a lot of good things about Zach Eady, but there's a lot of bad things in terms of modern NBA hoops that doesn't necessarily play in uh, in Edie's favor. And they, they cite as far as some of the negatives, the skepticism, obviously perimeter shooting, which we touched on. Right. Holding zone on and uh, as a pick-and-roll defender. I mean, to me, just running the floor. And yes, he runs the floor well for a big guy, but the the pace, I mean, there's no way he could k- keep up with a team like the Pacers, who mm-hmm. have the, the fastest pace in the NBA. Uh, of note, so Edie in the lottery, they had Khalil Ware, I think at 22. I've seen Ware in the lottery on a lot of these other projections, which 
that's one that makes more sense. Yes. With the way he's played. No question. He's played himself into being, you know, in the lottery conversation. That's not really a surprise. And it will be something to continue to monitor. A guy who has not played himself into the draft conversation at all is McKenzie Mbaco. No. He's, he's got a long way to go. And Malik Renew, unfortunately for him, has the same Trace Jackson Davis problems as far as being undersized. But mm-hmm. if he can run the floor better, which he's shown that ability to take the ball up. And he, he has could, scored better this year, too. Mm-hmm. He um, can be in that conversation. Yeah, and I think you're right about Mbako, too. That's a guy coming into the year. A lot of folks thought, okay, this guy could be a serious draft prospect. Um, but I will also point out to folks that this is like about the time of year, maybe right before Christmas when Jalen Ochefino started to take that step and turn into a legitimate draft prospect. And then by the end of the year, you know, had a couple epic performances that just blew people away. I mean, what he did against Purdue um, and a couple of games in the Big Ten tournament and then in the NCAA tournament, too. He was tremendous up until the the very, very end of the season. So um, I, I think there's a lot of upside. My, my biggest question for Zach Eady is that I don't think he'll struggle offensively in the NBA. I really don't. I think he he is a guy that can score underneath the rim just because you've got guys now that are 7-1-7-2 guarding him that are athletic doesn't mean he can necessarily be completely stopped inside. I think he'll score fine. My biggest question is, will he be a liability on defense? Because at some point, you will have to guard the perimeter um, and I, I just don't know if Edie has that back and forth quickness to be able to stop a 6-8-6-9 wing that can shoot it um, and stop him on a dribble drive if he draws him out to the perimeter. I, I think that could be a real issue. And, and to me, that's the biggest concern for ED right now. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Text rolled in, I think, is a, a good summary of the mm-hmm. ED conversation. ED seems closer to Ivaka Zubac uh, than anything else in the NBA for big men. Zubac was drafted 32nd overall, so that's the top of the second round. Spent time in the G League. Edie feels like that. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think agree. that's an entirely fair comparison. No question. I, I think there's definitely a scenario where he could spend some some time in the G League. Um, and again, useful player. Yes, NBA star. Maybe not. Um, I, I just there's certain restrictions, and I hate putting restrictions on people because people said the same thing about Trace Jackson Davis. Oh, he'll never be a consistent producer in the NBA. And here we are. You know. <laughs> 30 games into his career, and he is in the rotation and making a big impact for a team that is, you know, has a little bit of upside. So I I don't want to write him off. I I think he's, again, tremendous college player. Could end up getting a a national championship ring this year. I think they're that good. But um, he's going to need some development to reshape his game. And I think that probably will involve some time in the G League. And I, I actually love that comparison. That's really good. Coming up on the other side, an IHSAA ref has completed. Perhaps an insurmountable task. We'll explain next as we wrap up hour number one. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kenny here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney. Justin will be back tomorrow on the show. Uh, but before we wrap up uh, hour number one, quick story. An IHSAA ref has achieved his goal of officiating in every high school gym in the state. So 57-year-old Casey Gaynor completed the goal Tuesday night uh, at Municipal Gardens uh, for Tech and Heron. Uh, it was a 26-year journey, more than 400 schools. He started as an IHSAA official in 1998. In fact, Wayne, New Haven, and Fremont were among his final five stops in the state. 
Now, how he got into officiating, I think, is pretty funny. He was playing in the Cardinal Ritter Alumni League in his mid-20s, back in the mid-90s, and was always complaining about calls, is, is what he told the Indy Star. And the official who ran the Alumni League uh, told him he was putting him down to referee the next year. Well, turns out that Gaynor actually loved officiating. Go figure. Uh, but he said his favorite gym, Newcastle. No surprise. Mm. But he, he works at Lily by day in IT, but uh, still plans to keep on officiating for a few more years. Pretty cool story. Very cool story. And I <laughs> I don't think there's any question that you could really dispute Newcastle being your no. favorite gym. I, I was just down there last week, actually. Um, Such a cool video. Oh, it's, it's just awesome. I mean, it, it, everything about that place is really special. It's it's super unique. I mean, you walk in and then you walk down into your seats. And it's, an, it's that underground vibe. It's just awesome in there. Um, and just a palace, really, really the centerpiece for for high school athletics and high school basketball across the country. But uh, beyond that, that's a really cool thing to do. And I think making the the point, you know, this is such a classic thing. I hate to turn this around and being like, well, we've got so many issues with parents these days in high school basketball, but we do. And so the fact that somebody was basically like, fine, come do it. And then he did it is awesome and that's what i hope we see in the future from like parents that complain at games and want to you know throw fits at officials that work all day and then come work a game for very little money at night and just to get yelled at all night uh that that's a that's a really good thing i hope we see some other parents maybe this will be an inspiration to somebody else but also the fact that uh he kind of wraps up most of his the end of his uh tenure as an official making the the trip up to Fort Wayne in the Fort Wayne area anyway with with Wayne and New Haven and Fremont that's that's really cool that uh Fort Wayne gets a, a piece of the pie here at the end of his his journey but also good to hear that he's going to continue doing it I mean, yeah right they not need that more old 57's not that old <laughs> so uh yeah it's awesome but also the guys that that worked with him you know, one of those guys that came out of retirement more or less to come work the game with him um and, and just just a really cool story and and congratulations to Casey I definitely have a soft spot for officials being one myself um although I don't work basketball I work football and baseball but uh yeah it, it's an awesome thing and anytime an official gets uh, to a milestone I think they should be celebrated far more than they definitely are like it's typically you get a coin from the IHSAA after like 25 years <laughs> or 50 years of service or a little plaque or something but uh, this is a, a really cool story and I'm glad somebody wrote about it and the the players from Tech and Heron uh, in Indianapolis presented him with a plaque before the game so everyone was aware of kind of the moment and, and what it meant to him so really cool story hopefully this can in- inspire other people to become officials definitely we all know we need Plenty, plenty more. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, Mike Greenberg got a great dig on Jeff Saturday, um, the former Colts coach, and we'll preview, talk a little bit more about Colts-Texans next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, Caleb Hatch, Derek Tecker in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Happy Thursday. Thanks for being with us. Caleb Hatch, Derek Tecker filling in for Justin Kinney, Justin We'll be back with us tomorrow um, and wild first hour. If you missed anything on hour number one, a lot of IU basketball talk. Derek uh, had had his rant. He went off, uh, but you can catch up on the podcast platform. Look for it around 10 30, 11 o'clock each and every morning. Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can catch up on any show. Uh, we had Fiona Quinn on yesterday. First woman to call a comments game. Good inter- interview with her. Uh, so you can catch up on that as well, or, Hear all our talk about the college football playoff from Tuesday's 
episode as well on the podcasting platform. Coming up this hour on the show, Mike Greenberg gets a nice dig on Jeff Saturday on his Colts pick, and we'll talk a little more about Colts-Texans. Plus, the Pacers innovating on and off the court. Something they're doing I think is pretty unique. And Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette will join us to recap IU Nebraska, talk about Purdue's big matchup with Illinois, State of the Big Ten at the moment. He'll join us around 8.35 this morning talk all things IU, Purdue, and Big Ten basketball. And uh, before we leave you, a crocodile caused quite the uh, exciting moment for an Australian man. We'll get to that at the end of the show. 46862, your text line number, 46862. And don't forget, you can text Right State to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Dons and Right State Saturday afternoon at the Coliseum, 1 o'clock tip in that one. Again, text Right State to 46862. You'll be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets for Mastodons and Wright State on Saturday afternoon. Good first hour, Derek. You you got hopefully all the, the IU rants out of you for now. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the rest of my day is going to be a lot better now because <laughs> you got I, that I, off just, your chest. I needed an outlet to vent and it's good. It, it's really been building up. You know, I, I went down, I traveled to the game in Atlanta and <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that kind of like started this fire inside of me since then. It's just been building up. So last night was just the the night to blow off the steam, and glad I got to come in this morning and start my day right. <laughs> so for those who missed hour number one, Derek's wife is a Kentucky grad. The whole family, Kentucky, fan. mind you, it's not just uh, not just Katie. The whole family is Kentucky fans. Oh, when yeah. we down, we went down to Christmas in Kentucky, and we sat there and watched the uh, Kentucky North Carolina game a couple weeks ago. And yeah, everybody in that household is a Kentucky fan except for me. So. <laughs> So, like, does she wear Kentucky stuff when Constantly. you go to IU games? No. Okay. No, she doesn't go that far. Does she wear red? Yes, but she will not wear Indiana stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I have my fair share of giveaway t-shirts that don't say Indiana on them, <laughs> but they are red. So, those are usually the ones in the mix. I just, I didn't know the level of support. So, my sister-in-law's Kentucky grad, Kentucky fan, obviously her whole family, one of my best friends. Uh, his wife doesn't really care, but... Her dad and her sister and they're like they're Tennessee football fans, but Kentucky basketball fans make it make sense to me because they're mm. rivals in real life. I don't understand how yeah, that works. That, that doesn't seem the same as like they, Notre Dame they live football, in, IU basketball. They live fans. in Nashville, so Funky. like it's yeah, it's just like a weird <laughs> like I don't know how that works because um, that's not really how that works at all. Um, but yeah, I just wondered what you know her level of support in terms of if she would even wear red, which the fact that she does, I think, is a bit surprising. 46862, again, the text line number. Again, you can text Right State to 46862, be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. Hey, there's our first misspelling of the oh, day. Oh, yeah. Does that, is that, uh, you know, is that disqualification no. if you spell the name wrong? No. Okay. I, I still count it. All right. I have no issue. Um, some of the times, like, we did, when we did the WWE tickets a few weeks ago, we did, like, you know, give us your best woo on the text line. So there's no there's no way to misspell that. <laughs> However many true. O's you want to add is five. The more the merrier. But uh yeah, I think I think it's great. So again, we'll pick a winner at the end of the show. So just keep entering and uh, we'll contact you via the text line if you are the winner. Uh, just make sure you can pick them up here at the studios either today or tomorrow. So we'll uh give you information on that if you are the winner. So Colts Texans. Win or go home for the Colts. Big matchup Saturday night at Lucas Oil Stadium. Colts trying to sweep the season series 
against the Texans. And before we get into kind of some of the analysis and and all of that on this game, there's another interesting note. Yesterday, we talked about the Colts' pass rush and how they've had a lot of success this season. Obviously, had a ton of success in that first meeting as the Texans were down four projected starting offensive linemen. Um, but before we get into some some hardcore stat stuff, this was great. This was on Get Up yesterday, which, of course, is the show that's on in our studio uh, at the moment. But Jeff Saturday, former Colts interim head coach, wild to say out loud, um, picking the Colts. Mike Greenberg, though, made sure to get quite the nice dick. I feel like tell you the real bold prediction. The real bold prediction is the Jacksonville Jaguars lose, the Colts win, uh, and win the AFC South all in one fell swoop. Shocking. That's what shocking. we do. Jeff is right. Let's the go, Colts. Colts. Shocking. Oh, God. That was the I can't best. have her doing that on national yeah. TV. I won't allow it. And they're well coached this year. Uh, <laughs> and they're well coached this year. I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> the nice dig at the end. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. But Colts, Texans, and in getting into this matchup because I mean this is it. And for the Colts, I don't think if you're a Colts fan and if the Colts miss out, the the season's not a failure. And I, I don't think you can spin it any any way, you know, to say that it is a failure, regardless of what happens on Saturday night, based on what they've accomplished this year with the backup quarterback, new head coach, obviously navigating uh, Jonathan Taylor, you know, and everything in camp and then coming back and then the injury, uh, the injuries they've had in the secondary, like you, you cannot say the season's a failure, even if the Colts lose on Saturday. Night. I, th- I think that's clear, right? I don't think yeah. anyone could, could disagree with that assessment, but for the Colts, what's going to be key is on offense is the running game. Jonathan Taylor five and zero against the Texans averages over 21 carries, nearly 125 yards in those games. Last three, nearly 26 carries, nearly 150 yards. And again, once again, it's another matchup thing. So we talked about the Colts pass rush. If they get a pass rush, they can get pressure on C.J. Stroud. Remember, Stroud threw for over 400 yards in that first meeting. That was with the Colts getting a ton of pressure. Five sacks, nine hits. Um, and same with the running game. Jonathan Taylor is going to have to excel because the Texans tied for third in run defense, nearly 89 yards a game second in average per carry at just 3.3. You look at the first meeting, Zach Moss was the starting running back because Taylor was on IR. Moss, 18 carries, 88 yards, one touchdown. Yeah, and I I was just going to point that out. Importantly here, we don't have any sample size this season on what Jonathan Taylor can do against this particular Texans defense unit because we didn't see him. It's so rare to see the two divisional games be literally at the opposite ends of the season. It was so early when the Colts played the Texans um, back in September in a game that, honestly, the Colts completely dominated in the first half, and then the Texans kind of made it a game in the second half. But at that point in the season, those were two teams with pretty low expectations. That, that's just the reality. Um, neither team had had high hopes for this year. Rebuilding years, promising futures, yes, for both teams with potentially elite quarterbacks. Uh, And it certainly (laughs) hasn't worked out for the Colts that way this year, even without that elite quarterback. I I just, this is the fact that, that uh, Shane Steichen has gotten the Colts to this position is just amazing. It it is truly one of the great stories in the NFL this year. There's no question about it. And you're right. Even if the Colts don't win on Sunday, which by the way, there is no scenario where the Colts get in with a loss on Sun on a Saturday, I guess, 
But uh, yeah, so that, that's the important thing. It's basic football when it comes down to the playoff scenarios. This is the greatest thing about the NFL. On the last day, you know exactly what needs to happen. The Colts need no help if they win. If they, if they win, they're in the playoffs at least. They do need a little bit of help to win the division. If they win, they need a Jacksonville loss or a tie. But they are in the playoffs with the win, and that's the important part. The, the reality here is this, Caleb, and I, I just, even if the Colts make the playoffs, I don't necessarily think they're a, a legitimate threat. Maybe no. they win one game. No matter what, just making it to the playoffs this year is just a massive step for this team, which they can build on next year, because I think next year they have the, you know, assuming Anthony Richardson stays healthy, the Colts have a legitimate chance to make some noise in what has been a fairly open AFC beyond the Ravens. Um, so I, I just, either way, no matter how this thing goes, the Colts are um, completing what has been a fantastic regular season, and I don't think there's anything to be disappointed about no matter what happens against the Texans uh, on Saturday. And and this even includes, you know, kind of that, that recency bias with the the past hurt a couple years ago with what happened against the Jags and uh, <laughs> just this is not the same situation at all. These it's are two the really good team. teams. No, and it's not the same team. Um, but these are two really good teams going up against each other. And in my opinion, if you really want to get kind of crazy about it, two squads that I think could legitimately match up in like a uh, a really classic NFL playoff game a couple years down the road because these are two of the teams that have some of the most young promise in the league. Yeah, and for the Colts, I mean, you hope Anthony Richardson comes back and is healthy and can play a full season next year. I, to me, I look at it as the Colts have taken advantage of the week's schedule after an uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically really bad season. Yeah. And they were not as bad as their record was last year. They just faded late in so many games. That was a, a common issue. But they, they were not 4-12-1 bad last year. Uh, but they take advantage of it. They they get their quarterback of the future, hopefully, their franchise quarterback. And with the tougher schedule coming next year, because the Colts have had success, right, depending on where they slot in the division, um, whether it's second or third or even first, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all up for grabs. We know they're not going to be fourth, but it's going to be a harder schedule. So I think you got to enjoy this ride now because you don't know what next year will bring. Anthony Richardson, if he's healthy, you know, d- does he show the flashes that he showed at the start of the year? Yeah. Are they winning as many games? I don't know. Right. Um, I, I mean, think, what what if that comes with just a massive number of interceptions next yeah. year? So it's I, definitely possible. I think expectations next year for the Colts will be higher because of this season. But I think the, the reality is next year is a wild card. Mm-hmm. This season, they're essentially playing with house money. And yeah. what Shane Steichen has done as the head coach coming in also proves that he was such a key part of the Eagles and how much they have missed him. Um, but I, I think you look at this matchup and Jonathan Taylor's had a lot of big games. Colts pass rush was, was big in the first outing, but it ebb and flow, right? Texans, good run defense, Texans, great passing offense. And the Colts nearly blew a big lead in that game. Yes. I mean, they, they did basically nothing in the second half on offense. So it's worth important, uh, worth reminding people that, that that was definitely a tale of two halves in that game, the Colts' first half was so good that it, they didn't really need much in the second half. Just got a text in on a text line. Um, if the Colts tie, they they do need a little help to get in. They need either a Jacksonville loss or a Pittsburgh loss or tie to get in. So yes. the reality of one of those two things happening, well, unfortunately for the Colts, the Steelers with the whole situation and, and Lamar's not playing this weekend. So the Steelers, one would think at least on the surface, the Steelers are likely to win this weekend because the Ravens 
have a, a two-game lead on the next best spot. They've already clinched the number one seed in the AFC and home field advantage, so they don't need um, they they don't need to win this game, uh, which does hurt the Colts a little bit. But again, no matter what, they control their own destiny. It's simple, winning in. Same thing for the Texans too, by the way. And actually, they can get in with a Jacksonville loss, even if the Texans lose. So it's definitely possible both teams could get in. Um, no matter what, I mean, if the Colts win and Jacksonville loses. Then both teams are in the playoffs, the Colts and the Texans, and I'm excited. I'll be at this game on Saturday. Oh, there you so go. I uh, actually be hanging out with uh, with Matt Taylor in the radio booth. So oh, very. It'll cool. it'll be a terrific game, terrific environment. This is definitely perfect playoff environment. Joe Buck on the call for ESPN and ABC on a on an eight eight fifteen kickoff. Like this is this is everything that you want as a Colts fan, especially with this season coming down to this. The Colts have had a number of years in the past that have come down to the last game. And other than the Jacksonville debacle, people forget about a couple years before that, the Tennessee game, they had to go on the road on Sunday night football and kind of dominated the game and made their way into the playoffs. So there's a, a lot of positives here. And I think, again, just cannot wait for the atmosphere. Colts fans will be out in force, and th- this should really be a tremendous game. And in in my opinion, one that will be will be determined, as you mentioned, by the ground game of the Colts. See, if they if if Indy's able to run the football, I think they're going to be able to win this game. And that's been the case for the Colts in most of their games this year. Right. If they have a good running game, you feel pretty good. If they can't run the ball like we saw at Cincinnati, they have no shot. No. And, and that's <laughs> that's just simply what it comes down to for Indianapolis. Coming up next. The Pacers innovating on and off the court. We'll explain what they're doing next here on Caleb and Kinney in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker, in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney. Justin will return tomorrow. 46862 is how you can reach us on the text line. On Twitter, it is Caleb Kinney 1380. My Twitter is Caleb Hatch. And Derek, your Twitter slash X is uh, Derek Decker 57. There you go. Derek Decker 57. So pretty simple. That's how you can get in touch with us on the show. And also, you can text Right State to 46862. Again, Right State to 46862. Be in the running for a four pack of sweet tickets. See the Mastodons. That'd be a fun game, too. Post right say, yeah. But Mastodon's 4 0 in the Horizon. So mm-hmm. off to a great start this year and trying to continue that momentum on Saturday afternoon. Tip at 1 o'clock. Text that came in during the break as we were talking Colts, Texans. Uh, someone saying, CK, what happens to Minshew next year? So he's an unrestricted free agent. So, I mean, if you're the Colts, you got to find every way possible to re sign him. Mm. I, I think the. The value we've seen it this year in the NFL, the value of having a competent borderline starter at at backup quarterback is becoming more and more important, especially as the NFL shifts away from pocket passers to guys who are more dual threat, who like to, to throw on the move like there's just a higher risk of injury. And we've seen that play out in teams like the Colts and the Bengals who have competent backups have fared pretty well. Mm-hmm. teams that do not like I don't know the Chargers oh, have not or no. or the uh, Jets I think that's the most obvious example <laughs> <laughs> so you got you got to have a competent backup quarterback and hopefully the Colts will find a way to re-sign Gardner Minshew in the offseason uh, from the Colts to the Pacers Pacers got a big win last night over the Milwaukee Bucks they continue to do great things on the court but off the court something interesting so 
the Pacers debuted a new jersey patch last night. So they had Motorola for several years, and this is like the little sponsor logo on the jerseys. I think the NBA has done a good job of this in terms of it's there, but it's not overwhelming on the uniform. So it's not like taking away from the uniform. But the Pacers uh, have unveiled it. Fisher's based spoke note, which a QR code like patch debuted last night on the jerseys and unlocks special Pacers content for fans, including unique, never seen before content. Spoke note allows users to pair videos with a unique spoke note code. I don't understand what really any of this means, but it's innovative. And I think it's cool to see the Pacers partnering with an Indiana company to try to find a way to, you know, grow their brand. I'm all for it. I, yeah, I don't mind it at all. I, I'm sure there's a few purists that are, are like saying, Hey, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> we don't want anything on the Jersey, you know, with traditional blah, blah, blah. I don't think this is a bad thing at all. And this is a really cool thing. It actually reminds me, this is going to be kind of random. And this is cause I'm a, you know, we were talking about officials earlier with, um, one of our IHSA officials touring the circuit and, and uh, refereeing in every gym in the state of Indiana. Um, MLB umpires debuted a patch a couple years ago with FTX. Ended up being a cryptocurrency Ponzi scheme, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Complete disaster. But the point is, this stuff is, you know, it's been the NBA now for several years with, as you mentioned, Motorola for the Pacers. Um, it, it's just one of those innovative things. And I don't mind it at all. You know, we see it in racing really prevalently. Like, there's... It, it happens everywhere. So for people to, you know, say, well, we don't we don't really need any sponsorships on the jerseys or whatever. Like, I, I'm not completely disagreeing with that necessarily, but it, it's especially for a team like the Pacers that don't bring in uh, the amount of dollars that a lot of teams in the NBA do. You try to find the edge any way you can to, to scrape up some cash. Um, and this is important. I mean, this is the guy that eventually, you know, you, you sign a big sponsorship deal. Maybe that's the difference someday in being able to give a guy a couple years of contract extension. Well, that I you mean, need. think how much they're paying Tyrese Halliburton. That's what the, I'm saying. The, the max extension that he signed this summer. Right. I mean, you got to get sponsorship. You got to have a better TV package, which hopefully the Pacers will get after this year. That'd be nice. Pally Sports <laughs> going away. I'd love to actually watch a Pacers game again. Uh, it's know, not hey, on national TV. I, I wonder, too, if. The Pacers, just uh, out of curiosity here, mm-hmm. will take the the route of trying to get things distributed on local TV. One would hope, right? I, I mean, that's I love that trend. Like by what the, the way, Jazz the are doing, yes. what, uh The Suns are looking into doing. You're right, right. Um, and of course, they had there were some contract issues with the Suns that kind of halted some of that. I think the Hawks just signed a deal where ten of their games are uh-huh. on local TV. Yes. So. Yeah, that's like that. I love that trend. I hope it it happens for everything, for baseball too, especially for baseball um, that is during the summer and should definitely be available to people. That's just my opinion on that. Like we get to watch all the NFL games every year uh, in in local markets. So why why would we not be able to do that for for the NBA? So yeah, I, I just I I love that trend. But yes, trying to get sponsorships in this uh, innovative way and kind of a creative deal. I love it. I'm all for it. Someone texting in, I'm a Motorola purist. Give me a Motorola patch or give me death. Here's the thing. When the Pacers first introduced that, and I think that was like 2017 or 2018, I remember thinking the jersey actually looked better with the Motorola patch on it than without it. Like it blended in perfectly to the uniform. Now, having a QR code, it's hard for something to blend in with perfection, but I think they did a good job with how it looks. And again, you're not really going to notice this. If you're a diehard fan, you'll probably try to find a way to you know, access the content, but right. for most people, I don't have a problem with it. And you, you go back talking about teams on in local markets. I, I mean, just in the blackouts, yeah, 
Step number one, in the blackouts and let people buy a $100 pass or $150 season pass to watch their teams anywhere. Um, That's a step one of a separate issue that the NBA and MLB and NHL are all trying to navigate the post cable, um, you know, regional sports network channel um, land in in television. But I, I think for the Pacers, this is a step and... Look, you, you come off, you win a season series against the Bucks. you mm-hmm. announce a new partnership, things are looking good, you've won five straight, which tells me they'll probably blow an easy game coming up on the horizon. That's just <laughs> what they've done. That. That's what they've done on the season to this point. Coming up on the other side, uh, speaking of blowing games, uh, we'll talk with Dylan Sin, <laughs> the Journal Gazette. What a segue, as well, IU blew it last night against Nebraska. Also talk about Purdue's matchup with Illinois tomorrow night. Top 10 matchup between those teams at Mackey Arena. And assessing the Big Ten so far. That's all next with Dylan Sin here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney is out. Derek Decker is in. Justin will be back tomorrow. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on our text line. Don't forget, we're giving away a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Mastodons and Wright State Saturday afternoon at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. Just text Wright State to 46862 and you will be entered. Again, Wright State to 46862 and you will be entered into that giveaway. Joining us now on the guest line from the Journal Gazette, journalgazette.net, where you can read his work along with a physical copy of the newspaper. It is Dylan Sin. Dylan, uh, before we get to IU and Purdue talk, will you be at that uh, Purdue Fort Wayne Wright State game on Saturday? I will indeed. Yeah, I, I will be there. I'm, I'm uh, doing a doubleheader on Saturday. I will be at uh, PFW Wright State, and then I will head to Bloomington for uh, for Indiana Ohio State later that night. Busy, busy day for you. Then um, busy night last night as IU and Nebraska. And Dylan, we we talked about this at length in hour number one. But in year three of Mike Woodson, and the fact that there seemed to be some similar issues uh, across the roster. Confusing substitution patterns, effort issues, guard play was bad. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from all of the negatives that we saw last night from Indiana? Yeah, my biggest takeaway is it was it, it was like you could see this coming, right? Xavier Johnson coming back was going to shake things up a little bit. I I, I think people might be kind of overreacting because look, having Xavier Johnson back is what is going to be a good thing for IU in the long. Right there, he is a playmaking guard who can shoot the three and, and can get his own shot off the dribble, which is something IU has desperately needed. But he was always going to be rusty in his first game in a month and a half, and so um, he is having him back probably did more harm than good on last night specifically. So it, you, you kind of saw similar issues last season when Xavier Johnson first got hurt, and IU lost several games in a row because they were adjusting. And I do think there's going to be an adjustment period to getting Xavier Johnson back. So I think that that, is, that was part of the reason that, that things went awry last night is because guys were playing with different lineups that they weren't used to because Xavier Johnson's back. Now, I don't think that excuses what happened, um, but I, I do think that they were – Indiana was sloppy with the ball in the perimeter. I don't think that's, that's something that, that can be kind of just uh, uh, talked away 
But I do think that it, it's not going to be that bad every game just because Xavier Johnson is going to get better and he's going to get more comfortable on the court and guys are going to get more comfortable around him. Dylan, riddle me this. Um, I, I, I was thinking about taking a positive direction on Indiana here and talking about three-point shooting, but instead I'm going to go the complete opposite way. I, in your view, where do the defensive problems start for this IU ball club? Yeah, I, I, I think it, it, a lot of it is on the perimeter, um, and I actually don't think IU was terrible on defense last night. I, I, the first half, they were bad, uh, but the second half, I thought they played much better. I thought that Nebraska is a very good offensive team that put them in some issues, and I think the turnovers on offense led to some easy buckets for Nebraska. I mean, you get 27 points off turnovers, that's going to skew things, um, and, and, and so I think the offensive issues were what more led to the defense last night. There weren't nearly as many kind of just straight line drives to the rim as there have been. But I do think that's where it starts, is guys getting by guards on the perimeter and getting to the rim. I think that's what Mike Woodson was alluding to after the game was, yeah, the guards were bad on offense, but it was the defense that really, where they really struggled with. getting Guys getting to the rim and then getting kick-out shots. I think that's where it's been for IU this whole year is you just got to stay in front of your man more on the perimeter because that's, that leads to the overhelping. That leads to the, the rotations and the issues that they can cause there. So I think that's number one is you just need to stay in front of your man better on the perimeter. Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette joins us on the guest line. And Dylan, you, you talk about the guards and with the experience they have coming back, and I get it, it was Xavier Johnson's first game back from injury, so you weren't probably expecting some of his best performances, and he, he did struggle at times in limited minutes. But Trey Galloway, a guy who's been healthy, at the big game against Kansas, but has been very up and down this season. And for IU to have the experience at guard play, but for that to be a position group of liability, uh, is is that something IU can overcome throughout the Big Ten season? It just seems like that's the nail in the coffin for an NCAA tournament bid if they can't overcome that. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I, I think that that's part of what I, what I was saying about Xavier Johnson coming back, and it's not just Xavier Johnson being rusty. It's the guys around him kind of adjusting to having him back. I think Trey Galloway found a really nice niche when Xavier Johnson was out as kind of the primary ball handler and playmaker in the backcourt. It was, it was something he had never really had to be before, and he really kind of took to it pretty well after a couple games. But Justin, I think uh, he played well against Kansas, obviously, but even after that, he played well Kind of all those all those times where he would come off like a, a tight curl on the free throw line, and then be either either able to throw a lob to Khalil Ware or kind of get his floater in the lane. Those are actions that IU wasn't really running for him when Xavier Johnson was healthy, and I think they need to keep running those actions for him now that Xavier Johnson is back. I, I think they 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 can't let Trey Galloway kind of retreat back into being a spot up shooter, and that's all. Basically, I think they need to kind of keep him in the role that he was in and let Xavier Johnson do some of those things as well. I don't think you just make it Xavier Johnson the, the entire offense in the backcourt again. I, I, and I think that's what's going to take some adjustment is figuring out how those things fit together. So that's why it's not just him. It's, it's both of them. And then it's, it's Anthony Leal and Gabe Cuts also figuring out how they fit in off the bench. I think that that's going to take some adjustment, unfortunately. Dylan, from IU to Purdue, Purdue got a, a big win the other night, Cruz against Maryland, but I think maybe the more interesting thing at the moment, Zach Eady projected lottery pick 
by ESPN um, seems like a bit of a reach, but Edie has improved this year. Is there enough improvement, though, for him to make an impact at the next level? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's enough improvement for him to make an impact. I don't think he's going to go in the lottery. I, I, I understand the ESPN projects him there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the first round, and I do think that there have been significant improvements that he's made this year. I, I think there, there have been times, I mean, where he gets matched up on a guard on the perimeter, and he holds his own keeping that guard away from the rim, which is, on a, which is really impressive for a guy his size. Um, and so, yeah, there have been genuine improvements. There have been genuine improvements at the way he and Purdue play uh, in pick-and-roll offense, and that's part of that is the improvement of Braden Smith going around those screens. But there has been genuine improvements in the way that he kind of just moves in his fluidity. I think that was always going to happen with another year of experience. I, I don't know if there's enough to say, oh, he was going to go late second round and now he's going to go in the top 15. That, that's a bit of a reach for me. But I do think that there's, there's been significant improvement. Dylan, Purdue's got Illinois tomorrow night in what should be a fantastic game at Mackey. A lot of question marks for Illinois. Terrence Shannon, the whole story there. They're kind of uh, reeling a bit, but then they just absolutely destroyed Northwestern the other night. So looked like a, a solid team. Remember, that's, of course, uh, Purdue's loss there was a, against Northwestern to open up conference play. What's going to be key in this game tomorrow night? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the thing right now. Is Illinois is playing inspired basketball, um, even without Karen Shannon. And so yeah, they're, they're going to come in and, and come into Mackey and think we could win this game, right? And, and there are not a lot of teams that Purdue has played at Mackey that have come in and really thought, hey, we have a genuine opportunity. I don't, e- I don't know, even know how much Iowa thought that because Iowa played Purdue for Iowa early in the year at Mackey. And it was, it was over within the first 10 minutes of that game, really. Iowa came in and it just didn't seem to have it that night. So I, I, it, it's going to be the first time Purdue is going to be punched in the mouth at home this year, really. And so now you have to, to think about it and say, hey, Let's match that energy. Purdue, Purdue has done a really good job this year of when the other team has had energy, it's matching that level of intensity. I do think that that's going to be a huge part of this game as well. Dylan, uh, the guy who really stepped up for Illinois the other night, Marcus Domask, who was a former Wisconsin Mr. Basketball, is he the guy that Purdue is going to have to key on the absence of Terrence Shannon Jr.? Yeah, that would be my, my guess. I mean, saw him scoring at all three levels. It was really impressive of him, and I think that that's, that's, that's the type of guy that, that Purdue has. They have several guys who can guard him, right? It, it, it's going to be a question of who they put on him. I mean, Trakoff and Wren can do it, but it's just a question of having him or Mason Gillis, and obviously Trakoff and Wren is a starter, but then do you kind of have him out on the perimeter guarding Domask, and that's a, that's a tough cover for Trakoff and Wren. It just is. So I, w- I wonder how they're going to handle that. I do think the Trey Coffin run can handle it, but it's a, it's a, it's a difficult cover for him. And, and Dylan, looking at the Big Ten overall, um, it's it's very early, obviously, in the, the conference season. But where do things stand in terms of the NCAA tournament? We were talking about this yesterday on the show. Six bids, maybe seven? Like is, This is, seems to be a pretty down year for the conference. Are they going to be able to get above six bids for March Madness? Yeah, that, that, I mean, I, I think it's, it's pretty well established now that it is a, a down year for the Big Ten. They just they played poorly in the non-conference schedule. I don't think there's really any way around that. My assumption going into last night's game was that actually that it's going to be five bids. It's pretty locked up. I, I think looking at it right now, it's Purdue and Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois. And then I think you're going to get a sixth from either Nebraska or Indiana. 
Um, I do think that obviously Nebraska kind of moved ahead in those power rankings with the way they played last night. Um, but it's going to be a long season. We'll see whether whether Indiana can make up some ground there. But I do think that it's going to be six bids, and probably Nebraska will be the sixth looking at it right now. And a quick thought on Indiana. So you didn't mention Ohio State. Do you feel like IU-Ohio State Saturday is really a, a, a game that IU can get back on track? Or would that be, say, Ohio State wins, they'd move into that NCAA tournament conversation? Well, I, 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 I did mention Ohio State. Oh, okay. I, I missed them. Ohio State, okay. uh, Illinois, and Michigan State are the are the five that I think are pretty. No, I mean, obviously, it's early to say why, but those are the ones that I, I assume are going to make it. Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette with us, and uh, one other note in college basketball: Baylor opening up a, a new arena that is smaller than some of the top high school gyms in Indiana. Um, <laughs> what are your th- What are your thoughts on the the downsizing, I guess, right sizing of venues in college sports? Yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, for Baylor specifically, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world just because, I mean, you can make a small venue really, really loud, um, and it kind of feels like it, it's pressing in on people. But, but yeah, I, I, I do think it's interesting that the very, very, uh, in 49 states, it's just basketball uh, situation where, where Indiana's high school gyms, some of them are bigger than that new Baylor Stadium. And so, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of funny to, to think about that and then think about, like, how loud it can get in uh, Assembly Hall, in Mackey Arena, and in some of the other arenas in uh, Indiana and college, and, and how loud those arenas can be. So, yeah, it is a, uh, a 49 states just basketball situation. Dylan Sin, Journal Gazette, journalgazette.net, where you can read his work. Dylan, as always, appreciate the time and look forward to your coverage on Saturday of IU Ohio State and Purdue-Fort Wayne Wright State. Absolutely, guys. Looking forward to it. Thank you. That's Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette with us. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up here on the show on a Thursday, including a story of an Australian man getting a wild encounter while boating. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker in for Justin Kinney here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Final segment of the day. Caleb Hatch, Derek Decker filling in for Justin. Derek, thanks for thanks for stepping up. Yeah, yeah. You just you never know when your child care is gonna have a garage door fail. Uh, and I guess you, so. <laughs> you got to stay home and watch the kid. <laughs> it's just wild situation. Justin will be back tomorrow. Uh, final chance also for you to text Right State to four six eight six two. Again, Right State to four six eight six two. You'll be in the running for a four pack of sweet tickets to see. The Mastodons and Wright State, Saturday, 1 o'clock tip at the Coliseum. So get your text and now we'll pick a winner right after the show. Final story of the day. We're actually going to kind of tie two stories together here. But uh, wildlife officials in Queensland, Australia, investigating after a report of a large crocodile jumped out of the water and into a fisherman's boat. Uh, this guy was fishing in his tin boat at Jane Creek. Uh, when he spotted a crocodile nearby, been fishing for about four hours, saw the crocodile approaching the boat, moved to the back of the vessel, started the engine, crocodile sw- swum under the boat, launched itself up and into the vessel with its jaws wide open. So uh, he jumped over the crocodile to haul in his anchor and the reptile fell back in the water and tried to turn its body. Uh, but the the officials say the the croc bent the rails of the boat as it fell. I can't think of a few things more terrifying than that happening. 
I don't think this guy was expecting it either. It looks no. like there weren't signs or anything. He just it kind of happened. I, it looks like they're gonna they're going to post some signs in the area now for the future that hey, there's a crocodile that might jump up and try to eat you while you're fishing. <laughs> uh, this is this is yeah. I, I don't know if I can think of anything more terrifying jumping into your boat uh, that can walk on land. So, you know, just kind of to weasel around above the water. You know, I got to tell you, you, you go out for a relaxing day of fishing. You, you expect a, a nice day. He's out there for four hours, so he's probably a little tired. You know, yeah. he's, he's probably thinking about packing it up for the day. And then this giant Jaws thing comes at you and, and opens its mouth wide open. I, I can't get like the, the scene out of Happy Gilmore out of my mind right now, but that, that's what jumps into my mind. It, that's, uh, that's, that's not great, but I, I still think, I don't know if it tops the, uh, the other story we're yes. going to tie in here. Yeah, uh, a, a man attacked a Clark County judge this is in uh, the Las Vegas area in court yesterday after she denied his probation. <laughs> this guy jumped over the desk. <laughs> Got the judge. Obviously, security was right there to to pull him a, a, away after the jump. But I, I wonder which jump was better. This guy diving mm. and jumping and getting the judge or the crocodile. Unfortunately, mm. no video of the crocodile. So That's we true. may never know. That is true. But my, my real question is, what was the plan? Yeah, like, right. You, you get, <laughs> like, I, what goes through your mind? Like, I get it in the heat of the moment. You're like, all right, I just want to. I guess I want to hurt somebody, so I'm going to jump over the thing and take this, you know, middle-aged to older lady down. Who's a judge. Who is a judge to tackle you to the floor, which, by the way, he was, uh, you know, he wasn't going to prison for life or anything. It's not like he was, you know, his life was completely ending, but uh, he just enhanced his sentence definitely after that. So I I just don't understand what the, (laughs) like, what he thought was going to happen by doing that other than bad things you know you get upset and you're not thinking <laughs> yes, That's, so. he probably was on probation for doing something like that as well that wraps <laughs> it up for us for Derek Decker uh, I'm Caleb Hatch thanks to Dylan Sin, the Journal Gazette also for coming out Dane Patrick coming up next The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon Indiana Sports Suite with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4 and The Sports Rush from 4 to 6 final chance to win PFW Suite tickets All coming up here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.